Have you been blessed this morning? Man, I love those songs. That song, uh, His Mercy is More, is one that's been on my mind, and I sang it in the car this morning, and Alyssa said, that's the song we're singing. I didn't believe her. And, and then <laughs> we got to sing it together. It's a beautiful song. And, uh, and the Cora leave. I love that Cora can stand up here and talk about how technology influences our fellowship meal and then pass out a clipboard with pen and paper. <laughs> Some good technology. I like the technology of pen and paper, but I got a kick out of that too. And we are in week four of a study on a Sabbath worth keeping. So if you are new, this is like a first week, you're joining a study, and it's a great time to join, and I want to get your attention right now, okay? If I could have your attention, especially I'd like to ask for the attention of anyone in here who has low expectations for what God could do in their heart from the message of Sabbath. So maybe it's that you haven't been here for the study and you're just, just came to church, now I've got to sit through a sermon. Or maybe you have been here through the study and you figure you got it and why does the pastor need to have part four? I got this message. So you're checking out. Or maybe you um, have been here for all of them so far and just hasn't connected with your heart and you don't have high expectation. Or maybe you've heard me preach a time or two and I'm just not the preacher for you and you don't connect with, with the way I present. Whatever it is that might make you have a low expectation, I invite you to consider that there is a Holy Spirit who has a word for you this morning. And I happen to know for sure, because of my belief in God, I know for sure that the Sabbath message is a message that you need. You need it. It's not just a luxury. You need it because you were created by God. And God knows your needs. And the God who created you gave the very first gift to mankind. And he gave the Sabbath day. And then he says later on, as Jesus is on earth, he says the Sabbath was made for man. So I happen to know, as a created being by God, you need the Sabbath. There is dysfunction and overwork and stress and anxiety in your life, and God plans to meet with you on those points through the gift of the Sabbath. So I just invite you not to give high attention to my words, like, oh, God, pay attention to that guy. I invite you, before we begin, we're going to pray, give your ears and your heart, your full attention to the Holy Spirit, I think there's something, and it's customized to you. I think there's a Sabbath message that your heart is sore and hurting and needing to hear. And you can find life in Christ through this gift of the Sabbath. So we are going to pray as we begin. Father, I know this is for us. And I believe it's for us individually. And you have a word. You have a way to point us to life in the good things you give us. I pray you do that. The gospel is always about life. And I pray that the words today would point us to hope and healing, a trust in you and a dependence on you. We just give this time to you. I ask you to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We've been looking at practices, ways we can practice the Sabbath. So we talked about rest and trust and worship, and today we're landing on service. So Sabbath, a Sabbath worth keeping, is an invitation to serve. That's one of the ways we practice Sabbath. So invite you to use your imaginations because I made up a scenario and it's pretty dramatic. And it kind of matches the children's story today, too. So it's not all that far-fetched. But just imagine with me that you're going through, say it's a Monday. We'll pick a Monday. Imagine where you are normally at at 9 a.m. on a Monday. Do you got that in your head? So you got up and you're doing your normal thing. It's 9 a.m. on a Monday. And wherever you are, maybe you're home, maybe you're at the office, maybe you're driving to the office, wherever you are, the earth shakes. And it takes you maybe a quarter second to, all, to realize there's an earthquake. And then it takes you maybe another half a second to realize this is a terrible earthquake. This is worse than any earthquake I've experienced. And maybe another quarter second you start wondering if you're going to make it through this earthquake. So wherever you are, 9 a.m. on a Monday, imagine that place shaking. Things are falling down and you start to wonder what's next. And it might only be 20 seconds, but you're feeling every single fraction of a second. And you make it through the shaking. And you look at yourself and you're alive and you look around. And then what happens next? Well, wherever you are, you start thinking about those you love who are not with you. Maybe you have kids. It's 9 a.m. on a Monday. Maybe your kids are in school. Maybe your spouse is at work. Uh, You start thinking about all these things. Where's my dog? What happened to my house? And so quickly, in the next five minutes, you hit the top priorities. You go through these things and check on every little piece. And you find it's pretty bad shake. But so far, you still got power. Things are working out pretty well. But as the news starts flooding in, everyone's looking around trying to assess the damage the entire community, they turn their attention to the elementary school where the roof has caved in. That's the children's story connection. Where the roof has caved in and your child is one of those fourth graders in the class who haven't made it out. So there's an entire class trapped under the rubble and so everything stops for you. You come and you're, you're, you're trying to help but you know, they got it all blocked off. Within 20 minutes, Relief crews were there, and there's roped off, and you're told you can't go on, and you're watching them. So as a parent, you would want to do every single thing you could. So you're thinking, of, I could bring water to the relief workers. I could set up all these things that I could do behind the yellow tape to make it more successful on that side of the yellow tape. So imagine you're there you know, from 9.30 all day. You're praying, and you're sweating, and you're hoping, and your child is buried beneath this stuff. And then maybe... You stay through the night. Relief crews go until about four in the morning and they're exhausted and they get ready to leave. And you're thinking, you're not leaving. My child's down under that rubble and you're not going home. But they say, hey, we are spread thin. There's so many emergencies right now. And they leave. And you look around at the parents. They say, hey, another relief crew's coming. And you and the parents aren't going home. So you march through that yellow tape and you start ripping chunks of rock and concrete and and you the parents just go to work at this pile of rubble and so just imagine we're still using our imaginations imagine now that about 6 a.m the relief crew shows up and of course the cameras come with them because they're going to show all this mess and it's about then that you and the parent team that are pumped full of all these uh 
you know, stress chemicals and you're just able to do all this heroic effort to save your children. Imagine it's that time that you remove a section of the roof and all the children and their teachers come out. What are you feeling about them? So this is the biggest party of your life. Like, you thought, good chance I'm never seeing my child again, and you feel the highest high you've ever felt. It's just surging through your body, and you're hugging. And these, these parents, you never even knew them before today. Like, you knew that Johnny had a dad, but you didn't know who Johnny's dad was. And you're hugging them, and you feel this closeness and this celebration. And whatever you had planned the rest of your day, it, it's a party. And the paramedics who come, they're, they're, they're congratulating you. What an amazing, heroic effort. And the party gets bigger and louder and more exciting until it's broken up by the school superintendent who has a megaphone and has some law enforcement there and says, hey, uh, we're going to have to shut things down here because this rescue was illegal. You guys were not permitted. You guys had no training. You guys put the school system at a major risk for lawsuit. Like you came in here without us knowing and all this, this rubble, this was way out of protocol. So, an investigation is going to begin immediately. And you're thinking, can't you just share in our joy for one moment? Pretty crazy story I made up, right? So Jesus shows up, and he has this idea about the Sabbath that's pretty radical, and he finds this man who's been an invalid for 38 years. And on the Sabbath, he says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And then he finds this man who's never been able to see. Lifelong, he's been blind, and he takes some mud and rubs it on his eyes and heals the man on a Sabbath. There's this woman who has a disabling spirit for 18 years, and in mid-sermon, Jesus stops and says, you are freed from your sermon. On the, from your, <laughs> you're freed from your demon. I'm going to free you from that sermon. You're freed from this spirit, and it's on the Sabbath. I'll free you from the Spirit in about 25 minutes. And, and Jesus, story after story, Jesus finds a demon-possessed man, and he heals him on the Sabbath. And here's what the religious leaders do. They say, it's not lawful for you to do this. This man does what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And just like the ridiculousness of my original story, like you'd expect some celebration, wouldn't you? When the man comes to show himself to the priest, uh, and offer the, the cleansing that Moses commanded for his, you know, his, his, he can see, wouldn't you express, expect some celebration? Like, you're the man who was blind. And I don't know how it happened, but you can see now. Like, shouldn't there be some shared joy? No. In fact, this man who's doing these things, he can't be from God because even if he did amazing things, he did it wrong. He did it the wrong way. So Jesus shows up with a way different Sabbath message. And here is the key difference. It's about people and rules. Religious leaders valued rules. Jesus valued people. So we're going to see this conflict. It's a clash of an extremely wrong way 
If you were here on Friday night when we began this whole series, we talked about a Sabbath not worth keeping. Well, the Sabbath not worth keeping is what we find the religious leaders promoting in the time Jesus shows up. They were keeping a Sabbath, and it wasn't something worth keeping. Because it was all about meeting a tradition and not about loving people. So this is the conflict that we're going to follow as we trace Jesus' interactions. Serving people on the Sabbath was not new to Jesus. It was a value or a practice of Sabbath-keeping in Old Testament times as well. So before we, we're going to look at a bunch of stories of Jesus and see this value for service as a way of practicing Sabbath. But before we do, just jump to the Old Testament, and we're going to see that Jesus didn't make this stuff up. Isaiah 58 talks about fasts, and it is, they are not restricted to the weekly Sabbath, but they include it when you read verse 13 and 14. Isaiah 58 talks about a Sabbath. And the heart of God is grieved by a way they are observing this holy day. And in verse 3 and 4, we see that heart, why it's grieved, and it has to do with how we treat people. Here the message is, Sabbath is not only about my relationship with God, it's also about the way I relate with God's creatures. And in verse 3 and 4, Isaiah 58, 3 and 4, it says, Why have we fasted, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of our fast, of your fast, now this is God's response, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. It's injustice. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and hit with wicked fists. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. So, hitting with wicked fists and curling and fighting and oppressing your workers, that kind of Sabbath observance grieved God's heart. Then he got an opportunity to share what kind would delight his heart. Verse 6 and 7, it says, Is this not the fast I choose to loose the bonds of, the wick of wickedness and undo the straps and yoke of the yoke and let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your home when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And it says, then your light will break forth like the dawn. So, I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. Old Testament reference says, I don't like this way, oppressing people. I like this way, giving life and freedom and liberty to people. That's the Sabbath I want. And you think back to the commandments. It feels like I start going fast. It's, well, it's because I have a lot to say. And I also was told this week, um, by a young person in our church that I'm going to have to preach short because they have a hike planned after church. So, pastor, keep it short, right? So, we, so, I might get going a little fast, but the point here is, Old Testament says, Sabbath grieves God's heart when we take loving people out of it. When that's not part of our Sabbath experience, God still sees that we're observing it, but he doesn't like the experience. We see that in the commandments right there. It says, don't work. And then it says, don't have your animals work and your sons and daughters work and the stranger within your gate, which I interpret in general to say, Sabbath is a day to extend rest 
to lift the burden of work off of anyone in my influence. Right? So if I, I have the opportunity to step away from that stress of life, I also have influence on my children and others, and I should do what I can to lift the burden so that they could experience the spirit of the Sabbath. And I can influence, I can make that experience better for them. And then we read this word, this was that word, nafesh, that we talked about in one of the sermons. But it says that we should, we should not have those people around us work, that they may be refreshed. And that's such a beautiful picture. The way I keep the Sabbath should be refreshing to the people around me. Even a non-believer in my presence, someone who doesn't care that I went to church on this day, doesn't care what I believe about God, I should keep the Sabbath in a way that they're benefited from being around me because there's something about the way I love others on this day that helps their life. It refreshes their spirit. That's a great challenge for Sabbath keeping. And then Jesus comes, and he has a super persistent and clear message. So we're going to begin in uh, Luke 4. Luke 4 is where we're going to begin. And I did some counting. Uh, The Greek word for Sabbath appears in the four Gospels 50 times. So I just went through and, and read all those, and then I counted the occurrences that are appeared in different contexts. And it makes a very strong point. Fifty times it appears. Well, 41 of those times, the word Sabbath appears in the immediate context of Jesus having conflict with the religious leaders. So do you think Sabbath was a contentious message in the four Gospels? Yeah. 41 of the 50 times. Now, another seven of those times, the Sabbath appears in the context of Jesus being hung on a cross to die and being in a tomb. And which is another point of conflict. So Sabbath is brought up in conflicting ways in the New Testament. God has a message, and there is a correction to the way people are keeping Sabbath. Now, you might add up those and say, that doesn't equal 50. Well, there's overlap. That conflict had a lot to do with serving others. So 41 of the occurrences of the Sabbath come in the context of Jesus doing something for others and the religious leaders having conflict over that. And then 25 of those, a subset of that, specifically have to do with him healing others. There is only one verse in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where the word Sabbath is used that doesn't have to do with conflict, with serving others, or with the death of Jesus. And it comes in Matthew 24 when it says, Pray that your flight not be in winter or on the Sabbath. So that is the extent of Sabbath teaching in the New Testament. Jesus is squaring narrowly on this one point. Like, God knows what he's doing. He could have taught about all these other pieces of Sabbath keeping. He focuses on this one point where his people had gotten really off. And he makes that point over and over and over again. And that's what we see when we start in Luke 4. Jesus appears and announces his mission. And I don't think it's a mistake that he announces his mission on a Sabbath. So in Luke 4, he stands up in the synagogue on the Sabbath to teach. This is Luke 4, verse 16, where he stands up on the Sabbath to teach, and he opens a scroll to Isaiah, and this is what he reads. Okay, Luke 4, beginning in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is a mission statement. Jesus is coming into public ministry. It's the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And he's saying, I'm here. I'm this man. And you know what I'm here to do? Serve people. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Sounds a lot like Isaiah 58. He says, I'm here to be a blessing to God's children. And he announces that mission on a Sabbath. And then later he says, in verse 21, Today it is fulfilled. This is who I am, and it's a Sabbath, and I'm doing the spirit of the Sabbath and extending God's mission. And then they didn't like that because he was claiming to be the Messiah, so they tried to kill him. So notice how they keep the Sabbath. They're keeping the Sabbath by trying to kill this Messiah. Then Jesus goes to Capernaum. I'm assuming it's a, another week. And he heals a man who has a demon on the Sabbath. So Jesus is giving life on the Sabbath. They are plotting to take life on the Sabbath. Not only did Jesus announce his people-serving mission, he actually advanced God's mission on the Sabbath. He wasn't just saying, I'm here to do good. I just can't do it on this one day. He says, I'm here to do good. That's my mission. And then he shows, he demonstrates by healing a man who's demon-possessed on the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath is a great day to advance the mission of God. So we're going to look at five stories. Five stories. I got them all marked so I can beat you to them. Five stories of Jesus interacting with the religious leaders on the Sabbath. There's so much we could get from them. I'm not going to read every word of them, but I'm going to read these stories, and I want you to think a few things. Uh, two main thoughts. When it comes to the end, I'm going to have a reflection screen, and two of the questions I'm going to ask you to reflect on is, what perspective of Jesus is most convicting to you about the Sabbath? So think about what Jesus is communicating about the Sabbath. Which one is most convicting to your heart? And a, a flip question to that is, which position of the religious leaders is most concerning to you about the Sabbath? Maybe you see a little bit of yourself in it, and it's concerning to you. So think about, there's going to be so many points you could grab that I might not in these stories, but which pieces of what Jesus is teaching are most convicting, which positions of the religious leaders are most concerning. So the first story, we're going to go to Mark 3. I'm going to read the first six verses. It says, Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here! And he answered them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved with their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. You're seeing a pattern here. Jesus gives life. They plot death. And in this withered hand story, first they're trying to accuse him. They're setting it up as a trap to accuse him. Jesus doesn't hide away like 
hey, let's go to the restroom for a minute and I'll touch your hand. Or let's go behind the building. Just right in front of everyone, he says, hey, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? He makes it public. And then he does it and he asks this question, is it right to save life or destroy? Easy question to answer, right? It's right to save life. And yet, while they would say that's the answer, they're plotting to kill him. And we, we talked at that very first study on that Friday night about the irony of this. Jesus hangs on the cross, and it's, the Sabbath is approaching. And in order to keep the Sabbath, they go to break his legs so that they could kill him before Sabbath hours. Now, he was already dead, but their thinking was, we need to kill him so that we can keep the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And we need to kill him so we can keep our tradition. Jesus lies in a tomb on the Sabbath. They have completed their job against him. And his very act of giving his life and lying in the tomb gives life to every repentant sinner in earth's history. He, on the Sabbath, is performing an act of saving life and they're plotting and acting out killing the Messiah. So is the Sabbath a time to take life or to give life? What's the time to give life? Let's think about the words serve and break. Sabbath is a day to serve. They were thinking, oh, but he's breaking our tradition. So see the flip perspective here. Jesus was willing to break tradition to serve people. Religious leaders were willing to break people to serve tradition. So we're serving something and we're breaking something. And it's not just God's tradition. They were, God, Jesus was willing to break man's tradition to serve God's children. They were willing to hurt, destroy God's children to preserve man's tradition. That is a flipped perspective, and I think I'm in danger of being unloving to that point, too. So another story. This one's Luke 13. I know it's a lot of reading, but I think there's power in thinking about these stories. So going quick, I'm going to read these verses. It says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit of 18 years. She bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days to be healed and not on the Sabbath. Then the Lord answered, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on a Sabbath day. So Jesus is touched with compassion and they're indignant. What, a, what a, a thing to say. Hey, there are six days in which you can have miracles happen. Right? Like, 
Like, why don't you just come on any day and get healed? Like it's a normal thing. Like it wasn't something just amazing that happened in front of their eyes. And Jesus says, don't you have enough compassion to even untie your ox? What, what happens is we get to the point like them where the love of God is so low in our hearts that we actually treat animals more humane than people. And they were willing to have the kindness to care for their animals, and yet they thought it was a sin to liberate people. So Jesus says to them, it's not wrong to loose bonds. And we should be able to relate to that, because last week we talked about worshiping God and on the Sabbath, and one of the reasons we worship God is you were slaves. You were slaves in Egypt. He brought you out. So we worship him because he's freed us from bondage. And then we partner with him in that very spirit of the Sabbath. And we help people find freedom from their bondage. So another story has to do with ox and donkeys and healings. And this one's just across the page for me. It says, On the Sabbath, when he went to dine in the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him with dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyer and the Pharisee saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So, very similar story, except this time he's actually in the house of a religious leader. And it tells us that Jesus wasn't hiding his Sabbath differences. Like, he's right in their home, and he's going to do this right in their home in front of them. And this time he asked a slightly different question. The other question was, wouldn't you untie your ox? And now it says, if your ox or your son falls into a well or a pit. I think from that description... If you don't do something, I think they're going to die. Like, they've fallen into a pit. This is an emergency. Is it right to save life or destroy? So they all know the right answer is you're going to get them out, right? It's right to drop everything else and save life on the Sabbath. That is the message. Saving life or keeping tradition. Now, we could go too far with this. We talk about the donkey in the ditch and... Pretty soon, everything becomes a donkey in the ditch. Like, well, this was right to do on the Sabbath because, you know, I had to get the donkey out of the ditch. So this is what Jesus did not intend right here. So this is an advertisement for a business that Jesus was not intending to inspire when he said those words, okay? I'm just going to read it to you in case you missed my point here. It's a made-up business, but fallen donkey services of Jerusalem. Hours of operation, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. We schedule emergencies on the Sabbath, so you don't have to. And then, of course, pay after Sabbath hours. And then weekend rates apply. But you can follow them at Legalist Loopholes on Instagram. So here's, here's what we could do. We could say, ah, here's a way I can get around the blessing of the Sabbath. I could just consider everything a fallen donkey. Like, I could schedule all my emergencies on Sabbath so that everything is an emergency. And then you know what we do? We don't rest. We don't worship. We don't trust. We don't delight. All we did was serve because instead of guarding the Sabbath, we made it a day for emergencies. Jesus was not inviting us 
to schedule emergencies. He was calling us to a posture of living where we see someone in need. We feel totally in line with the spirit of the Sabbath to pause what we're doing and serve that person, save life. He was not calling us to live a life looking for ways to keep us from resting on the Sabbath. You know, we talked about our neighbors um, a while back. Neighboring well is our goal for the year, and we talked about neighbors are those people in your path. God puts people in your path. I can't fix every problem on the Sabbath, but there's going to be someone in my path today who needs life, and if I'm focused on myself so much I don't see it, I'm going to miss that opportunity to serve. But if I'm surrendering myself in a way that I can value others, I can extend life and serve this Sabbath right now. So that is what Jesus was getting at. And this one was already read for us, but there's a man who was an invalid for 38 years. I want to highlight a few things. If you go back, I forget how long ago, but we preached, I preached a sermon series called um, One Thing. Was that what it's called? Anyhow, all these verses that say one thing is needed, and this, ver- this uh, story was in that sermon series, and we find that what Jesus did in very few words, like a couple words in Hebrew, three commands in English, he says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. He gave three life-giving instructions to this person. This man couldn't get up for 38 years. He said, get up. Take up your mat. That mat had been his prison sentence. I'm stuck on this mat. He says, pick that thing up. And he says, walk. What he couldn't do. And in three words, he breaks three human traditions. Getting up required a miracle. That was work on the Sabbath. Picking up your mat required carrying a burden. And they picked up on that real quick. They said, he can't carry his mat on the Sabbath. And walking, well, they had limitations on that too. So Jesus was in their face, I believe, trying to offer life and offend their tradition to make a point. So he does those things, and they're offended. And then Jesus says something that, well, then he, he shows up and appears. He doesn't want to be hidden. He shows up and reappears, just like he does with the blind man in a moment. He reappears. They said, who's this man? And he comes back and says, hey, stop sinning, as, as a way to say, it was me. Go back and tell them, because I'm making a point. I want them to know this thing. And then he ends this story with something that should cause us some deep thought. I'm not sure where to arrive on it yet. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. So that's Jesus' point about healing this man on the Sabbath. His point is, my father is working. And we're keeping this Sabbath because six days God created and the seventh God rested. But then, my father is working. What are we going to do with this? So, he rested from his work of creating. So, questions I have. Like, was the work of creation a subset of God's work in general? Because we know he rested from his work of creation, but here Jesus says he never rests from his work. So, is it all work wrong on Sabbath? I don't know. These are questions. Because... Apparently, our Father, who sets the example for Sabbath-keeping, is always at work. So I wonder, is the spirit of Sabbath that I rest from my work so I could fully engage in His work? And how do we engage in the work the Father's doing without it destroying the rest He wants for us? These are questions I have. They're not statements. God's always working. So some aspect of the Sabbath is engaging in 
the work of God to serve others. It's the Sabbath principle of heaven. One more story. The blind man. So this blind man, I'll just read the first few verses. I'm not going to read all 41, but it says, Then he passed and he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God, there's the work, the work of God might be displayed in him. Notice verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. And then he does the work of God by healing him on the Sabbath. He doesn't say, I must do the work of God. He says, we must. And he was talking to people. So his pronoun of choice includes all of us that Sabbath-keeping includes doing the work. That's the no-no word on Sabbath. (laughs) Doing the work of God. Something I need to take to God in prayer to find out what he means, right? What do you mean, God? Thou shalt not labor or do any work, but you have a work for me on the Sabbath. So, as we close with these questions and thoughts, I do have some conclusions. So, there's a, a verse, verse 16, that brings out an incredible decision point. It says this, Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. I think this division is a very appropriate division to put into our own hearts and wrestle with. Where do we land on this side of the division? One is, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the tradition the way I understand it. The other is, how could he not be from God when he's doing the work of God? So where do we land on this? And put it in different language, it is, will we insist that a practice is not from God if it doesn't fit our tradition? Or will we let God's love for people reshape our tradition? There are things, I don't have the same traditions that the religious leaders of Jesus' time had, but there are traditions I have that I think are so right, and I am at risk of resisting the work of God because it can't be from God. It doesn't fit my tradition. Or I could understand the heart of God that's just, I mean, emphasized over and over again in Jesus' Sabbath message. Sabbath is made for man. I love people. I want to set people free. This is a gift and I could let God's love for people reshape the way I do religion. I think that's an important point for us to land on. So here is an example of service. Um, this is my car. This gas can next to it. When we had our Sabbath, big Sabbath weekend, I was here all day. We had three meetings. And someone had heard us, my wife and I, talking in the lobby, I believe, about our car gaslight being on, which doesn't worry me, and it worries my wife. So I actually kind of think it's a fun game, okay? So I've had multiple cars in my life. I've never run out of gas, and my car, you know, so I've kept track of the mileage I can go past the time the gaslight comes on. 
And what I do is I push it really hard one time and I get a little nervous and then I know, hey, I made it 36 miles past the gas light, so if I do anything under that, as long as there's not a lot of hills, I'm okay. So I set this new uh, standard for the gas light. Now I currently have a car that counts down and it tells me you have 10 miles left, you have five, you have zero. And I know that I can go about 30 miles past the time it says I have zero. My car's lying to me. And what I, what I do to make it a game is if the gas light comes on and there's gas for 450 and I know there's gas across town on my path for 440, what I do is I say, I could make it to that other gas station and I get joy out of it because if my gas tank's that low, then I get to spend, then I get to fill the whole thing at a reduced rate, right? It's not like, it's like there's a lot of gas so that's the stuff that goes on in my mind. So I'm not worried about gas, but my wife is. And someone overheard us, and after a long day at church, I come out, and there's a gas can there. And someone had cared enough to say, hey, they might be worried about this. And so I look closer, and it says, if you can read that, it says, for pastor and family. Then the card inside says, I know you could have made it, but I didn't want you to worry. You guys are loved. And when I read that, you know what my first thought was? They're doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. <laughs> I caught them. I mean, they had to put that there during Sabbath hours. They might have had to fill it up during Sabbath hours. That wasn't my first thought. I felt loved. I felt served. I felt like, even though I wasn't worried, I wasn't. I felt like there's people in my spiritual community who care enough to serve me, and I felt the spirit of Sabbath. I felt like people have their ears tuned to my needs in a way that they will serve me so that I can rest. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That you could come to church and people could hear your needs and serve you. Well, I did have some bad thoughts after that. My next thought, and this is not a joke, was I'm not going to put it in. Because <laughs> I could prove that I could make it there. And then, and then I thought, that's not nice. So I put it in, and, and I, it was slow. It took a long time, and I put it in, and I did feel cared for and loved the whole time. And, I, and then I thought about driving past the gas station because it's expensive there. But then I, uh, I stopped, and I filled up all the way, and gas is so expensive. Another thought I had is I could keep this and sell it for 30 bucks, you know? <laughs> but I filled up, and I don't know why I do this, but when it's, when it's so bad, I want to find a way to make it satisfying. So it was $95 to fill my car. And I thought, man, it'd be so fun if I could make it to 100 And then I remembered I have the gas can. So I filled it up, and I got it right to 100 between the tank and the gas can. And if you are the kind person who served me on the Sabbath, your gas can's right outside the door, and I appreciate it. Maybe there's a way that your ears could be open to the needs of others right now, today. As you leave this place, you could notice something, you could hear something, you could make yourself available in the spirit of Sabbath to serve. And uh, invite you to bring a blessing to church. I've been blessed by the music, I've been blessed by everyone giving their time, you might not be up here. You know that you can bring a blessing to church? Like God has gifted you in a way where you don't just come to church to receive a blessing. You can bring a blessing to church. And then 
I invite you to share your blessing beyond our church. There are people out there who God wants you to serve in the spirit of Sabbath. So I have one last story. And uh, I invite those doing the response song to come up and get ready. We're gonna, they're going to close us out with the response song. Um, this man that you see in the picture, I don't remember his name. I wish I did. Um, but he's kneeling. I, I, did a, I had the chance to go to Guatemala in 2018 and preach an evangelistic series in this little church. And they would come in, and what he's doing is their tradition is when they come into the sanctuary, they kneel and pray. So individually, people are coming at different times. They kneel and pray, then they sit up. So he was kneeling and praying, and I got a picture of him. Well, he's one of the men who had the privilege of baptizing in Guatemala after this, uh, during this sermon uh, series I was doing. And he wasn't new to the church. He had been in the church before. In fact, 20 years earlier, he had been one of the, the construction workers who built the church. And he explained to me that over those 20 years, he had drifted from God, he had drifted from the church, and he, he shared his story. He had quite a drifting experience. He said, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And it wasn't just important to him that he was coming back. What was important to him is that he was coming back, bringing his gifts to serve God. So he kept telling me about his abilities with his hands. So he'd work with his hands, he built these things, and he told them, oh, emphasized them with such emotion I kind of thought he might have been bragging. Like, I thought, you really think you're good with your hands. And he said, Pastor, I, I want to, and this is all through translation, I want to give God my hands. I want to surrender my hands. I want him to empower my hands. I want to serve God with my hands. And I thought, well, we can pray for that. So he asked for prayer, and he said, I, I want to dedicate my life, and I want to dedicate my hands in service to the Lord. And I thought, man, he's sure highlighting his strengths until it was time to dedicate his hands, and I reached out to grab his hands, and I looked down, and on both hands he was missing fingers. And the fingers he had were smashed and scarred and hurt. They were rough hands. And I realized in that moment, he was not bringing his strength to God. He was surrendering his weakness to God. He was saying, God, I'm coming to you, and I am compromised. <laughs> I don't have a full set of tools to bring to you. I'm not a shining star, but I have something, and it's weak, and it's compromised, and I'm giving it fully to you. I want your spirit to move through me because he understood the heart of God served people, and he had portions of hands to offer to the service of God. And I share that story to encourage you in service. You might not feel like the bright and shining star that can go out and rock the world in service and have everyone notice there is a Holy Spirit who works through your weakness. He is strong in your weakness. And the call to service, this is a call to service in the context of Sabbath, but maybe it's just for you. Maybe it's just a call to service in your life. Maybe you just need to feel the Spirit calling you to give yourself of service to God. You do not have to have something it's worthy of posting on Instagram. You don't have to have strength to bring to God. You bring what you have and say, God, align it with your heart of service. And I guarantee, because that is the Spirit of God, He will connect you with His mission and the Spirit of Sabbath to love others. So as you reflect, these are the questions. Take them now as you listen to the song into your heart. Maybe take them to fellowship meal and talk about them. 
Think through these questions. So what of Jesus' perspective is most convicting to you? What is most concerning to you of the religious leader's perspective? And then this is a real one to wrestle with. How can you practice serving people on the Sabbath while guarding these other practices of rest and trust and worship and delight? How can you give yourself genuinely in service without exhausting yourself? That's a balance the Holy Spirit only can accomplish. So how can you practice service for others without taking away your worship, your rest, your delight, your trust? And take those reflections to the Lord. Let him do a work in you this Sabbath and beyond that you can have the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Sabbath all throughout your week.